So it's been quite a journey in this uh, journey with Jesus, and we're coming up that last week, uh, last couple days actually, before he's going to be taken and crucified, and uh, and he's uh, been given some, uh, uh, been teaching daily in the temple, and he's been uh, going through uh, some things, preparing his disciples, and talking about some future events. And today is really a message of Christ prophesying three different time periods we're going to look at just a little bit today and uh, hope it'll be help to us and, uh, and even a warning to us, a caution to us that we ourselves might be prepared. But in uh, Luke 21, we're going to start in verse number five. It says, as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with uh, goodly stones and gifts and said, as for these things uh, which ye beheld, uh, excuse me, he said, uh, as for these things which ye behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be, and what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass. But the end is not by and by. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilence, and fearful sights, and uh, great signs shall, uh, shall there be from heaven. But before all these they shall say, no, excuse me, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you upon, uh, up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall, turn, it shall turn you for a testimony. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends, and some of you shall they uh, cause be put to death. And they shall be hated, uh, ye shall be hated for all men for my name's sake. But there shall not an hair of your head perish. If your patience uh, uh, po uh, possesses ye your souls. And when ye shall see uh, Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of, of it depart out, and let not them that are in the, the countries uh, enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them who are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people, upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. I know there's a lot to unpack, but uh, let's ask the Lord's help this morning. Our Father, we do thank you for our time together. And for this uh, Lord's Day, Father, I do pray that it would be an honoring day to, uh, to our great Savior. As you look here at the words of Christ, Father, I pray that you give us understanding uh, to see not only what has taken place, but to see uh, even in our own lives and, uh, and what might even be coming uh, our way in the, in the near future, that we could be ready, Lord. And we just ask for your help now and as we go through this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. During the Lord's last week of ministry, he taught daily in the temple every day, and, and we saw lessons and, uh, and truths about his deity, and in fact, uh, up to the end there, he spoke much of his deity, he, he spoke much of uh, kind of giving some charge to his disciples and kind of laying some things out, but this discourse that Jesus gives in our text here is very similar to that in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, known as the Olivet Discourse. Uh, here in Luke, however, Jesus is teaching prophecy concerning Israel, concerning the time of the Gentiles, uh, and specifically the coming destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus made his speech two days after the, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, just a few days before his crucifixion. And, and I'm always uh, taking careful thought into this last week of Christ, because 
Christ, Jesus knew what was ahead. He knew what was coming up. And, uh, and if you were in his shoes or in his uh, position, uh, you know, just think, what, what could I give here in my last week? What, what emphasis should I make here in my last few moments as I have my disciples here, as no doubt uh, we've seen the Pharisees show up trying to tempt him. We saw the Sadducees showing up and giving him a hard time. We saw the elders showing up and, uh, and, uh, and challenging him. And we see all this. We have to ask ourselves, what is it Jesus is wanting to give and Why? This day was filled with much teaching and, and confrontation with religious leaders. As Jesus left the temple, he returned to the Mount of Olives for the night, and, uh, which was a consistent practice of his. And uh, uh, here are his final days right before his death. In Luke 21, verse number 37 and 38, it says, in the, days, uh, in the daytime he was teaching in the temple. In the night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. And so he would, he would kind of retire, pull away a little bit, uh, had to have a cutoff time or else this was going to go on forever as people would come and hear his teaching. But uh, this is what was going on. This was his pattern. So as we see here, first of all, we see a prophesied destruction. He, he, he starts off with a very interesting statement here, uh, uh, which was really a response to the disciples. Look at verse number five, and it says, and some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. You see, the disciples here, they're looking at the temples, they're look, looking at how beautiful it was arrayed and how, you know, many of the stones were even imported in from other places, and they, they looked at this, and, and by the way, can you imagine trying to impress Jesus, the one who created the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence, and they're looking at this, and it's almost kind of like, Lord, isn't this impressive, this temple? Isn't this interesting, this temple here? And, uh, and he follows up with, well, yeah, it's all going to fall down. <laughs> um, because, you know, it's funny the things that, that, that impress us, and, the, and, the, and really, if you really think about it, how little God must be impressed the things that impress us, <laughs> the one who spoke the worlds into existence. How many of you uh, have uh, seen the northern lights like this last winter, all right? And uh, I don't care how many times you've seen it, every time uh, is worth stopping and looking, right? Every time is worth admiring, and it's amazing. And, and to be, you know, quite frank, we rarely could get such a response like that in something we create. You know, you may visit some places and be like, wow, this is incredible. But if you're there every day, it would kind of lose its... Wow, you know, and, um, and it's like, you know, telling Jesus, isn't this impressive? Look at, look at how amazing this is. And, and uh, as, I, as I look at this, and he simply replies, verse number uh, uh, six, as for these things which ye behold, the things you're looking at, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Can you imagine the disciples sitting there just kind of in awe? Now, keep in mind, none of them were from Jerusalem. This is a wonderful thing to visit Jerusalem. They've been there now a week, and, uh, and they're kind of getting used to coming to the temple every day and, and uh, looking at this and saying, isn't this amazing, this temple? And it was an amazing thing, and they wanted it to, you know, you know this was the temple for God. This was uh, where they would sacrifice. This is where they would, they would come, and this was the, the, you know, the main temple, if you would. You had all these synagogues, but this was Jerusalem, and this was the temple. And Jesus simply says to them, it's all going to fall down. In fact, to such a degree, there's not going to be one stone left upon another, <laughs> This magnificent building, this, this strong uh, you know, edifice, uh, you know, this, this is all going to just tumble down? Yeah. That's, you know, it's, uh, it's quite uh, a, a remarkable uh, uh, statement. Verse number seven, they asked him saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be that these things shall come to pass? And they begin to question, you know, as they arrive to the Mount of Olives, the disciples question Jesus concerning his statement. This doesn't, you know, uh, they, they, they're looking uh, this amazing temple, and he says it's going to fall down. They thought, well, when? How, how's that going to happen? And, and, and what, what, how's this going to take place? What's the sign? Uh, in Mark 13, verse 4, they, they said, tell us when these things be. And he said, uh, or, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? They, they were inquisitive, and this this in the other gospels as well. But Luke's record is a little bit differently worded in the question than one in Matthew's gospel. And uh, 
And the reason for the difference is that Luke records the question asked by the disciples while still in the temple. And for this reason, Luke doesn't emphasize the same events uh, as they directly relate as Matthew does, uh, who records a question by Peter, James, and John, and Andrew on the Mount of Olives. But, uh, but this was definitely in their mind, in their heart, as they were looking at this, saying, saying, what is going on here? What, you know, we, we're, we're here ministering every day. You're teaching in the temple, and, and, uh, and we're, this is an amazing place to be, and, and you're saying it's all just going to crumble down. What, 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 what's, what's really going on here? And so, so he begins to kind of teach some things, and he starts talking about, first of all, a, a, a deception that's going to come. And in verse number eight and nine, Jesus refers to a general state, uh, uh, really, of the present time, in the days before the, the tribulation, the days you and I live in, look at verse number eight. And he said, take heed that you be not deceived for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. And when you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. So these things are before the end. These things doesn't mean the end is there. It's coming, it's going that direction, but he's kind of begins laying out uh, some things of, of the future. He's going to talk about the things that are going to happen directly to them. He's going to talk about the things that are going to happen before the end. And then he's going to talk about some things that are going to happen in the tribulation. So he's kind of laying all this stuff out, and, and, uh, but he warns of this deception. In fact, in 2 Corinthians verse 11, uh, chapter 11 rather, uh, verse 13 through 15, it says, For such are false apostles deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. He, he, says, he says, be careful, there's going to be some that are going to come and say, here's Christ, the time draweth nigh, and he's warning of these things that Satan's going to deceive, and especially in those later days. So he says, uh, so, so Paul goes on to the church of Corinth and says, and no marvel for Satan himself, get this now, is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed into the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So here's what he says. uh, Satan is not walking around in some red leotard with a pitchfork, right? Like the cartoons make him out to be or something. That's not Satan. He's transformed himself into an angel of light. And and, uh, boy, it's amazing some of the... uh, um, uh, really some of the satanic things that have gone on around the world where people are just convinced this is God and this is, it was bright and it was light and it was, yeah, that's exactly the description. And then his ministers, they, they're transforming in ministers of righteousness. It's very difficult to tell the difference of God's minister and one of Satan's ministers because they look very similar. These are some of the warnings. You know, in our world today, uh, false prophets, you know, they're, uh, you know, I think of, uh, uh, you know, those that have had these visions or these kind of things. I think of one in particular that has got a grip on our world, uh, started by a man named Joseph Smith. Had an angelic vision and found some golden tablets and, and, and these kinds of things. And, and he said, well, well Jesus was, was a man that became God and, and you could follow in those footsteps. In fact, Jesus was Satan's brother and, and really an attack on the deity of Christ and and uh, and and today there are millions of followers around the world and they're saying you if you work hard enough if you are good enough you can get to the place where uh, they don't like this getting out that you could become a god of your own planet and now what's crazy about this one is it's under the guise of Christianity Pretending uh, as, as if the Bible stands for them. And, and Paul warned several times, if anybody, uh, whether man or angel, comes preaching another gospel, let that man be accursed. I think about, Joseph, uh, I think about uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses who, who, who teach that, that, that Jesus is Michael the archangel. And, uh, and that he is not, in fact, the Son of God, or uh, to put it more bluntly, the God the Son. And then what is it? They attack the deity of Christ. In fact, that's what John warned over and over again in his uh, general epistles where he said, hey, hey, if any man denies that Christ has come in the flesh, he, that is the spirit of Antichrist. You don't follow that. 
And over and over again, there's these leaders that have arisen and say, well, let me show you my way. Let me show you this way. Let me show you this way. And, uh, and what is it doing? It's pulling people left and right. And, and uh, boy, that just abounds in the day we live in. So the first warning is this claims of false Christ. And, there were, and uh, uh, since the time of Christ, false messiahs or false prophets or false teachers have been around and the pattern will continue uh, in the period between Christ's first coming and his second coming. Matthew seven fifteen, beware of false prophets which will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward they are ravening wolves. You know, it's interesting. I always, I always saw that as a, as a very Jewish warning. And what I mean by that is this. As, the, as Israel, the nation of Israel specifically, um, rejected uh, the Messiah, Jesus as the Messiah, they're still, by and large, waiting for a Messiah. So I always thought it'd be very easy for them to accept a false Messiah because they're looking for a Messiah. They're waiting for a Messiah. And, uh, and there are other groups, by the way, all around the world that are looking for a Messiah-type figure. The Muslims are looking for the last imam. They're waiting. And there are different groups that are looking for the, la- the one last prophet that's going to come. And, uh, and if you know uh, the end of the Bible, you'll know that uh, uh, setting it right up for that Antichrist to take power. But what's interesting is even in the last hundred years, there have been dozens and dozens of people that have claimed to be Christ and actually got to themselves quite a following. In the Philippines, by the name of Apollo uh, uh, Quiboli, uh, he's the founder of Kingdom of Christ Incorporated. He claims to be Jesus Christ, and, uh, and uh, that he believes, he teaches that the work of Christ was not completed during his ministry, and that God had sent him to complete it. To finish the work that Jesus had begun, he is, if you would, the, the second coming of Christ. Now, before you think, well, how could anybody listen to that? How can anybody follow that? He has six million followers. There was a man, he's passed on, but it was a, uh, I think he died in a, about uh, 2013 or so. Um, uh, funny, interesting enough, his last name was Jesus, and he believed that he was uh, uh, Jesus returned, and he was a Puerto Rican man, and he was out of uh, Florida, and he had uh, a couple million followers himself. In fact, his wife left him when he started telling her that he was God, <laughs> and two million people began to follow. See, these aren't just little weird things popping up here and there. Uh, I'm saying there's a deception, and the devil, he's gonna, uh, uh, he is transformed to an angel of light and his ministers of, as ministers of righteousness, and these things are going to abound. Anything that's going to call us away from the Bible, call us away from the standard and the Word of God, and call us away from who Jesus himself is, we need to be very careful. See, you and I, we may not fall for someone who comes up and says, let me tell you something, I'm Jesus. You see, we may not fall for that, but we may fall for some things that are going to pull us away from, in fact, the Bible Jesus, from, in fact, who Jesus really is. And he says this time is, is, is coming near at this time, even in the first century, or in the first uh, seven years of Christianity, the church was plagued with false teachers, with deceivers, with false prophets. The apostles warned against this, warned against these false teachers as evidence in their writings, 2 Timothy 3.13 says, and evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, the craziest part of that verse is not only are these people going to be deceiving many, but they themselves are deceived. And deception is a tricky thing because by its very nature, you can't know if you're deceived. Well, I'm not deceived. Are you sure you're not under deception? You see? And that's why, folks, we must have a standard. We must have something to come back to. The Bible tells us that we ought to try the spirits to see if they're of God. Put it to the test. There must be some, 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 some tangible, some, uh, some, some, some objective test we can take and say, wait a minute, this is truth, this is error, this is truth, this is error. And that's why around here we are Bible believers. We must come back to the it's not, it's not what this guy thinks or that guy thinks. Oh, well, that's a good philosophy or that sounds interesting. And No, no, we must back to truth. Jesus prayed in, a, in a John 17 to the Father and he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Pilate asked Jesus before his crucifixion, what is truth? 
You know, that's the debate of the centuries, isn't it? What is truth? I'll tell you right now, I, where I am settled, where I'm at, the Bible is truth. Let God be true and every man a liar. And so if you don't like that, if you're not settled with that, then just know that's my source of truth and that's where I'm coming from and that's where I'm going to. And if I can't back it from the book, then quite frankly, opinion, and I try to be very careful with saying that, but we must come back to the Bible. <clears throat> then Jesus warns of these calamities that are going to come to the earth. Look at verse number nine. But we shall hear of wars and commotions. Be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilence, and fearful sights, and, and great signs shall, uh, shall there be from heaven, and kind of lay some of these things out. But in the days leading up to Christ's uh, coming, there will be terrible catastrophes taking place on earth. Jesus told disciples that uh, difficult times lay ahead uh, for them, but they should uh, take heed to his word. They should not be led astray by the deceivers, and, and neither should they be frightened by, a, uh, by national or international uh, calamities or give up when persecution becomes intense. Now, we have a lot of things that are kind of building up to this. And by the way, isn't it amazing, isn't it interesting uh, how many times when there are uh, uh, catastrophes when there are things that take place around the world and uh, earthquakes that take out several thousand people. I think several years ago there was about uh, a quarter of a million people wiped out one earthquake. I think about tsunamis that have wiped out folks. And, and you know, we, we, we feel the pain and we send some money to the Red Cross and we kind of get involved, but then, then it kind of just goes away. And, but, but it's interesting, we, we can get, you know, as we're looking at, we're looking at this, we kind of start to uh, you know, well, this is just life. This is just kind of how things are going. Folks, it's going to get crazier and crazier and crazier before Christ comes. Um, a pandemic with a 97 plus percent survival rate is not like the pestilence the Bible is going to be talking about in the last days. All right, it's going to get serious. It's going to get real. And, uh, and, but, but he says, as we get closer, we're going to start seeing some of these things, these calamities and, and so forth. And what's interesting about this uh, is when Jesus says, the end is not by and by. You know, it amazes me every time something kind of happens, whether it be politically, socially, here in America. We've, by the way, America's been blessed these last 250 plus years. America's been greatly blessed. And, uh, and every time some little bit of persecution comes or something is kind of anti-Christian or what have you, it's funny how many people start saying, Lord, you must be coming soon. Uh, the return of Christ, the rapture must be, must be right around the corner. And by the way, it's been imminent for a while now. And I'm not saying he's not coming. Uh, I do pray and desire that he comes in my lifetime. But it's funny, we take those things and we say, oh, this must be the terrible time that Jesus foretold of. Hold on a second. People have been experiencing real persecution ever since the time of the apostles. And we've lived in a little bubble here in America because we have a Bill of Rights. Thank God for the Bill of Rights. But what happens when that's removed? We need to be careful that we're not creating soft Christians and not being willing to stand, not be willing to suffer for the faith as it may be coming. See, the reality is we're not appointed under wrath, but we don't know how bad it's going to get before, before Christ takes us out of here. By the way, I take comfort in the fact that Jesus not only knew what was ahead, but then prepared his followers saying, hey, these things are going to happen. Take heart. You know, here's, here are the cautions. Here are the warnings. Here are the things to prepare yourself for. But he talked about wars, talked about commotions. Commotion is a, is a, comes from a word that means uh, really instability, disorder, disturbance, confusion. And uh, I think a lot of that's going to happen politically. A lot of it's going to happen really around the world. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to be pushing towards one world government, one world's uh, uh, a currency, a lot of things. Those, those are the commotions that are going to be taking place. Wars obviously have political connotations as well. 
There's going to be calamities of tribulation. The phrase, uh, then he said, means that at that time, it's connecting the age and the coming age of the tribulation, the, 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 the time that they're at, and he says, and then at that time, and then it's going to come, and he begins talking about the things that are coming towards the end. What's interesting is uh, the rapture is not mentioned in the Gospels. Now, a lot of people try to go try to pull out some verses, but the rapture is not mentioned in the Gospels. That's where I think a lot of people get very uh, confused with their eschatology, and we can maybe debate that later if you disagree with that statement. But, uh, but, but keeping in mind, the Gospels, Jesus came to his own. He came to the Jews. He came under the law. He really didn't start opening up to the Gentiles until he you know, gave that charge to disciples to go into all the world. But he was, he was fulfilling prophecy, and he was dealing with them in that regard, and uh, really was not talking, he was talking about this uh, basically according to Daniel's timetable, according to um, uh, really what's, what's on the agenda, so to speak, for the nation of Israel. And uh, so we don't really see anything about the rapture. In fact, when Paul first introduces the concept of the rapture, as I showed to you, a mystery, a mystery, something that's sealed, something that has not been revealed till this time. I showed to you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead of Christ shall rise, and, and, and so forth. And, uh, you know, that's the first real instruction. So if we understand, if we're coming to these passages, kind of breaking it down and laying it out uh, with what he's speaking about, much of the end time prophecy, he's actually talking about the tribulation. And he's talking about these end time things and and he's warning many of these uh, Jews, by the way, that by and large will turn to Christ in the time of tribulation. He's warning them of what those days are going to be like. And it kind of lays this out. He talks about the natural catastrophes. I think about Revelation 16, where it's going to talk about some of these during the tribulation. And it says, And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since, the men, since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. In Revelation, it talks about there's going to be an earthquake that is so violent, it's like we've never seen since people have been on the earth. That's amazing. Now, by the way, we've seen some pretty intense earthquakes. There have been some that, that have wiped out many. Talks about these uh, uh, catastrophes, talks about famines, talks about pestilence, these things going on. You know, um, and then he begins to describe these, 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 are, these are fearful sights and great signs from heaven. It talks about there in verse number 11. Great signs shall there be from heaven. All these events up to verse 11 are, are really related to the end times leading to the tribulation. Verse number 12, Jesus states the next section is going to occur before the events of 10 and 11. Look at verse number 12. Before all these, taking place prior to the things I just said, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into the prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. So, so he says, before all these things, now by the way, if, if, uh, if you're in the crowd, maybe, maybe you're a middle-aged person, you're sitting there in the crowd listening to Jesus, and you're thinking, boy, this is going to be rough, and, and, uh, and uh, you know, some of these guys are probably going to have to live through this. But you know, my my life's pretty much over, and I'm looking forward to you know <laughs> to, that I'm going to miss that. And then all of a sudden, he kind of looks at the crowd. And he says, "Hey, some of you guys, some of you are sitting here looking, listening to me, and uh, you're going to go through this." And so he kind of warns and cautions about the conflicts that believers would go through. We see that in verse 12. Look at verse 13, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. For a testimony. That's an interesting statement. And uh, I'll, I'll pick up there in just a minute. Uh, you see, the events in really uh, verse 12 through 19 involve the apostles directly due to the mention of all that would happen to them through persecution and through the destruction of the temple. In A.D. 70, how many of you are familiar with what happened A.D. 70? Okay. Uh, General Titus would come through, or the emperor there, he was going to come through and basically uh, 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 huge destruction, desolation in uh, Jerusalem. And that's when the temple was destroyed and many were killed, uh, many were martyred, both Jews and Christians alike. This was just a few uh, decades after Jesus given this teaching right here. And uh, much of this was going to happen. He's speaking prophetically of, uh, of the, the, the Christian community or the, the believers there that persecution would be for his namesake. 
The succeeding verses uh, find their counterpart narrative in the persecutions that we see and we read about even in the book of Acts. But notice what it says there in verse number uh, 12. But before all these things, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you and delivering you to the synagogues and to the prisons and brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Now this part's awesome. It'll be turned to them for a testimony. God was going to use these things as a testimony for the cause of Christ. Up until Acts 9, Saul persecuted Christians. He was one of the great persecutors. He was one of the ones that was fulfilling Jesus' prophecy. And the persecution faced by Christians will lead uh, to a good testimony in their faith in Christ. Uh, uh, According to ancient tradition and uh, history, every one of the apostles were martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we can go down the list and what, what history has told us, but every one of them, they say, was martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ, except the Apostle John. And, uh, and I, I'd like to say it's kind of a sort of martyred with John. John, they boiled him in oil and he survived. How would you like to come back from that? He boiled in oil. And he survived. The reason he survived is because uh, God had one more book for him to write. So they exiled him to the island of Patmos and uh, sent him there where he wrote the Revelation. And then later on went back to Jesus and uh, they say he died of old age. But I can't imagine the, 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 the things that he had to deal with physically in surviving something like that. And, and it was rough. But all these others and many, many more uh, suffered uh, martyrdom, great persecution, in the dark ages, believers so frustrated uh, the, the papacy the, um, that Pope Innocent III ordered the Inquisition. The Inquisitors uh, used any and all means to try and subdue uh, the Waldenses, for one, and many others. It's estimated that one million Waldenses were, uh, were martyred for Christ. You see, it wasn't just Muslims that were killed. There were Muslims that were killed uh, by the Catholic Church. But, uh, but there were many, many other groups. There was a man by the name of Peter Waldo uh, who, uh, who led the group, uh, well, the Waldensians. And uh, he was a Catholic man, and he discovered that salvation was not found through a church, but through Jesus. He went to Rome, and he actually went to confront the Pope about this. How many of you would like to, would to have that boldness, okay, to go and talk to the Pope face to face and say, you know, I think you've got it wrong, El Papa. I think you've got it wrong. Because of that, he was not only banned from the church, he was excommunicated. Soldiers were sent to his hometown in France. They thrust women through with spears and carried them on the spear on their shoulders and paraded them down through the streets. Children and men were burned at the stake as a, as a counter, as a response to going uh, and confronting the Pope. Eventually, Peter Waldo and many of his followers had to leave uh, France there and go up into uh, uh, the mountain in Italy and hide. And the followers became known as the Waldensians, and they, and they, they, they tried to serve God, and they tried to, to kind of stay away. And eventually, many of them faced martyrdom, facing having to be thrown off a cliff and so forth, simply for following the Lord Jesus Christ. Over a million of them were martyred by the Roman church. See, it wasn't just the Muslims, but it was also groups like the Albigenses uh, of France, uh, the, the Montanists and the, and the Waldenses, and, and many of these became known as a group called the Anabaptists, those that refused the, 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 the Roman baby baptism, infant baptism. What they would do is they would rebaptize people who made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from any church, apart from any ritual. But they wanted to trust Christ alone. And, and folks, this was far before the Reformation. And, and many, many, many thousands and millions uh, were put to death for simply believing the Bible and following the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we talk about things that are getting worse, we have to look back and say, how bad were they? Were they? How bad have they been? And in well, we sit in our nice building here. Let's not forget that in Indonesia, let's not forget that places like Turkey, Egypt, Syria, there are men and women who are having their heads cut off simply for believing in Jesus Christ. There's a publication out there, The Voice of the Martyrs, and every, every month they're sharing stories 
of persecuted believers all around the world. And they say that the last hundred religious Christian persecution than all of history. You see, we, we, we like to think, that was a long time ago, a lot of people were dying for the faith. No, folks, we've been in our American bubble. And praise the Lord for our freedoms, and praise the Lord that we can boldly even here. We're not hiding. We're not underground. We're not, you know, having to, uh, in fact, we're even broadcasting this thing. Praise the Lord for that, and praise the Lord for these freedoms. But the reality is this, that, that we have been blessed, and, uh, and, and, and personally, I can give you my reasons, but personally, I believe we're on borrowed time. Persecutions. And I think to myself, what is my son going to have to face? What are my daughters going to face? What are my grandchildren that I haven't even had yet going to face? Are they prepared? Are they prepared to stand for Jesus? These are some warnings that Jesus was giving that they might stand for him. But I love this. See, he's going to take these things as a testimony and even an opportunity to witness. Look at verse number 14. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Now, I will say this. The Bible tells us and challenges us in, uh, in Peter's epistle that we ought to be ready always to give an answer to the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. Excuse me. We ought to be ready always. This is not an excuse to say you don't need to know your Bibles, you don't need to be ready to tell people, but, but the reality is you don't need to stress about it because if you've put it in you, you've got the Word of God and the Holy Spirit can bring it out. And uh, you ever been amazed, just blown away when you had an inter interaction with somebody and you thought, wow, God just made that happen. God just kind of brought out all the right things. And you step back, you say, he kind of in that hour gave me the Word to say. <laughs> But he, he's going to pull out of you what's in you. And, and, uh, and what an awesome thing. He says, he says there's going to be a time where they're going to come against you. And, and because of your faith, and uh, you know what? You, you, you're, going to, you're going to be able to stand in such a way that they're not going to be able to say anything against you. That's the challenge. That's the challenge of having our testimony in order, on having our understanding of the word in order. And, all, and, and as, as, as we're put in these positions that we stand, they really can't say anything other than this. Well, we just don't like Christians. By the way, it's amazing how antagonistic our own culture is getting towards Christianity. Have you noticed? Our founders, even the ones that probably could have been labeled as a little weaker in the faith, believe so important that religious men should rule. They believe that's the safest bet, that, uh, that, that men of God, men of the Bible in particular, uh, be put into positions... Of, of power. In fact, in the early days, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't even become a lawyer without having a theology degree in America. The thinking was that how could you, how could you practice law without knowing Fast forward. Today, whenever uh, even a Catholic is appointed to a, a Supreme Court or a high position, they'll say something like, oh, well, I don't know if they should be in that position because they're, 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 they're people of faith. How far we've come. Then Jesus provides some comfort. Verse number 16. And you shall be betrayed... Thought you said comfort, preacher. You'll see in a minute. You shall be betrayed by both parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends. And some of you shall be caused to put to death. By the way, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, uh, this experiment the last year and a half. The whole pandemic and all that. This is an experiment. Uh, I'm not denying that people have been sick. What I'm saying is there are people that capitalized on this and used it as an experiment. And it's amazing, some places we're seeing neighbors calling the police on neighbors because they had, a, they had company. How they would turn on themselves 
and, and even rewarding it. You're hearing this even, even in other places and other nations where there might even be a cash re- uh, a reward for these kinds of things. And, and what I'm saying is, are we getting conditioned for what he's talking about here? Uh, even to the point of parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends, what are they going to do? They're going to betray you even to the point of putting to death. Now, now I'm not saying that, uh, that having someone in your home when the, when, the, when the government said you're not supposed to is the equivalent of saying, I believe in Jesus. What I'm saying is it's amazing how culturally and as a society, we're almost conditioning ourselves to go in this direction of exactly what Jesus has said. He goes on, verse 17. And you shall be hated for all men for my name's sake, but there shall be not an hair of your head perish. There's the comfort. In your presence possesses ye your souls. Or in your patience, excuse me. Um, you say, wait a minute, I thought he was talking about some are going to die. Are you saying not a hair in their heads going to perish? You know, wonderful truth. Though opposition comes from the enemies, though family and friends would betray and turn on you for Christ's sake, uh, they can't touch our soul. Even to the point where Jesus is saying, uh, you know, even the hair on your head. In other words, you're going to be saved. And folks, that's what gives us confidence when we think about the martyrs through the years with such boldness, how they would go to the stake. And they'd have a smile on their face as the flames came up. And in certain instances, uh, uh, you'd hear them singing songs. You'd hear them clapping. You'd hear them rejoicing. And, uh, and certain powerful statements like, what I've said with my life, I now seal with my blood. So all those that would follow and those that would hear would say, I'm going to keep my faith strong and I'm going to follow powerful. John 15, verse 18 through 19, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. You know, it's amazing today how, how many how many Christians, how many churches, how many people want so badly to be accepted by our culture. Now, I'm not going out to try to make enemies. But it's amazing how the most holy man who ever lived could not get along with his culture. Or the culture can get along with him. And yet we so desperately want to be accepted everywhere we go. We so desperately want to make sure we don't disturb the waters too much. Verse 18 there does not guarantee absolute physical protection because some are going to be put to death, as I mentioned before. But, but it's talking about the fact that we're going to have, we have eternal life. If you're saved today, it doesn't matter how much comes your way. Hey, don't fear them that can kill the body and after that do no more. Jesus said, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear him who, who uh, after, the, uh, paraphrasing, after the body is dead, has power to, 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 to destroy in hell. Fear him. It's called the second death, Revelation 20. Romans 8, we're encouraged. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And lastly, this morning... Jesus prophesied uh, of a desolation that would take place. Verse number 20. And we shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies. Then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. And remember he had said before those other things he said, these things were going to happen. So he's talking about this desolation that's going to come. It's in reference to Titus coming in with his soldiers and destroying uh, Jerusalem and destroying the temple. They had besieged uh, Jerusalem for a... Uh, uh, for, for they, they'd cut off supplies and, and, uh, and besieged Jerusalem there, and, and many were slaughtered, and, and uh, they eventually destroyed the temple and, and so forth. He, uh, he had besieged the city for almost five months. And he warns of not only the desolation, but uh, the flight from death. Look at verse 21. And then let them which are in Judea, that's, that's outside, that's in the, the, the region, but they're outside of Jerusalem. Those that are in Judea, flee to the mountains, just get out of there. 
And let them which are in the midst uh, 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 of it depart out. If you're in the city and you hear them coming, get out. And let none of them that are in the countries enter therein too. If you hear about it or if you want to come visit, don't visit. <laughs> These are the warnings that he's giving and, uh, to, to, that, they, that they would get out and, and leave. Don't be a part of it. In the first century there, one of the great historians, a man by the name of Josephus, uh, He's really uh, uh, is the authority uh, for, the, for the statement on when, when the Christians saw Jerusalem compassed with armies, they re- remembered the words of the Lord. And they left Jerusalem and fled into the city of Pella, uh, where, they, where they were protected by the Roman government, so that they did not have to endure the judgment that came upon Jerusalem and its guilty people who knew not the time of their visitation. Remember when... Um, Remember when Jesus was there and they were, they were crying, crucify him, crucify him, and Pilate was really having a hard time coming to a verdict and really trying to figure out how to go uh, approach this thing. And the people in the crowd, the religious leaders, hollered out, his blood be upon us and our children. Many people believe, and I'm one of them, that Jerusalem was part of that judgment. The 70 AD, that destruction of Jerusalem was part of such judgment of those that knew not the time of visitation, knew not that Messiah came and was among us, and, and they rejected the Lord's Christ. And they turned. But he warned of this, that they would flee from death. And then look at verse number 22. It talks about a, 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 a vengeance here in verse number 22. For these be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now that's interesting because he actually puts an expiration date until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. But he says this horrible thing is going to come, and the people are going to be scattered. They're going to be sent out. I think about the scattering that takes place from, from, Jerusalem, uh, from, from 70 AD. I think about the scattering that took place as persecution was rising there in Jerusalem in the book of Acts, and they scattered. And then we go to the New Testament epistles, and they're saying to the saints scattered abroad, to the, to the tribes of Israel that are scattered abroad, the strangers. And these kinds of terms. And, and what happened was uh, they used persecution, and especially in the book of Acts, to get the word out. That they'd be as testimonies as Jesus was uh, predicting there. And, and you'd go out, and what did he do? He'd spread the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, like wildfire. Amazing how God has a way of turning things around. But here in the days of vengeance, they're related to Israel's rejection of Christ. And he spoke of this on his way to Calvary. In fact, in Luke 23, verse 28 and 29, but Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. And he said, Don't weep for me, <laughs> weep for yourselves, because it's coming into some tough times. He gave warning of those that are with child and, and then warning of the wrath upon all the people. Albert Barnes, a commentator, noted, uh, no less than 1,100,000 perished in the siege of Jerusalem. More than 90,000 were led into captivity. Folks, that wasn't a small thing. This was a pretty serious uh, prophecy fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles began with the captivity of Jerusalem by Babylon in 606 B.C. in 2 Chronicles 36. And, and we'll end really with Jesus returns to earth to deliver uh, and delivers the city. Uh, Zechariah 13 and 14 tells us of this. But, but this kind of goes back to, if you're familiar with uh, the book of Daniel, um, when, uh, when the Babylonians came in and, and captured them and took them away, and Daniel uh, had to interpret uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. By the way, I love the challenge. I had a dream, and it troubled me, but I can't remember it. So I need someone who will tell me what the dream is, and then tell me what the interpretation is. And if you get it wrong, by the way, I'm going to kill you. How many of you want to sign up for that one? Okay. Kind of weeded out some of the fakes. 
So Daniel shows up and says, God's the one that gives dreams. Let me hear, you know, let me tell you what it was. And, and, uh, and he tells him of this vision of, uh, of this giant statue. And it talks about, you know, the, 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 the head and the, and, the, and the chest, and it kind of lays it all out. And what it is, it gave an order of, of these captivities, the Babylonian captivity, the Persian captivity, the, the Greek empire comes in, and the Roman empire, and then finally that feet of clay and, the, and the, the divided nations. And it kind of lays out this timeline. And then, and then in Daniel's prophecy, he kind of gives what that timeline is and, and uh, lays it out. But these are the times of the Gentiles. From that moment on, Israel has been under uh, the Gentiles. You say, wait a minute, they're a sovereign nation today. You ever notice about Israel? Every time they decide to do something, everybody has an opinion. Everybody weighs in. You know, the reality is Israel is still under the Gentiles. They can't do anything without permission. They can't do anything without the okay of the UN or without, the, uh, without uh, us back. And by the way, I want to say this. God's promise to Abraham still stands. I will bless them which bless thee and curse them which curseth thee. And it would behoove America to remain Israel's friend. I thank God for our last president, how, how he was probably the best friend to Israel out of all the presidents we've ever had. And I get very nervous when, uh, when I hear of helping and supporting enemies of Israel. And I get very nervous when we start pulling back on our friends, Israel. It doesn't mean everything they do is right, but God's promise still stands. Daniel 2, verse 28, but here is a God, uh, there is a God in heaven that receiveth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these, and he lays it out for him, the, those empires. Romans eleven twenty five. I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And uh, what Paul is uh, laying out there in Romans 11, and uh, really uh, from Romans 11 kind of on, he's talking a lot about Israel and God's plan. He's not done with Israel. There's a, there's a big rise today in replacement theology that says God's done with Israel. And the church is the new Israel. Don't buy it for a minute. Paul was very explicit in Romans saying, wait a minute, we're not done with Israel. Uh, God still has a plan for Israel. In fact, his heart's desire for Israel is that they might be saved. That was Paul's heart's desire for them. And so he kind of lays this out. He says that blindness has come to them until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. When, when that, that time of the Gentiles is done and the rapture takes place, we'll get into that part of it later, and, uh, and the tribulation comes along. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. And what God's going to do, he's going to deal with Israel as with children. And he's going to chasten them and they're going to repent and as a nation recognize Christ as Messiah. But right now, their blindness has partially come. Israel will be saved at the end of the tribulation, beginning at the, time of the, the end of the time of the Gentiles. So it's amazing. There is a limit to this, as, uh, as it says there in uh, verse number 24. How, when's all this going to happen? Until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, as we wrap this up, Jesus prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and it took place. The coming of the destruction of the earth is going to take place during the tribulation. God's word is sure. and Everything he speaks of will be fulfilled. Everything that has been prophesied has been fulfilled uh, that, that, you know, up to this point. And everything that is yet to be fulfilled, let me just say, will be fulfilled. God's word is sure. And what a wonderful truth, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll, we'll get into more of that in another study another time on, the, on the, the, uh, God rapturing believers. But, um, but I do want to say this as a takeaway, as we look at this passage of Scripture, as Jesus is nearing his death and he's kind of giving some last truths, we see the destruction of Jerusalem, how that so fit into his prophecies. We see in these last days all, all these false prophets and different things that are going on as we're approaching the end. And I want to challenge us with this. And I think it was the comfort he was trying to give his, his disciples even that day. How strong is your faith? 
are we, what kind of a Christianity are we trying to not only help ourselves with, but pass on to our children and, and perpetuate with those around us as, as, we, as we share these truths? Because I think if we're not careful, we kind of look and, and let me say, there are great blessings in doing things God's way. Uh, and uh, there are natural laws uh, that take place. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's a law, a law of God, you see, that, that, the, of sowing and reaping. Uh, and so there, there are so many things in the Bible that do make life better. And there's so many things in the Bible that, that, that are for our benefit, that God blesses and, and so forth. But let me just say this, as, 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 as our nation gets more antagonistic to Christianity and as the world is seeing uh, this as, a, uh, uh, as really the problem and keeping uh, society from advancing and going forward and those kinds of things, I want to ask this question, how ready are you to suffer for his namesake? How ready are my children? Do they have a conviction? What if it comes to the point where you can't get a job if it's found out that you're a Christian? What if it comes to the point that, that if your neighbor found out you were a Christian, uh, every night you'd be uneasy, have they turned me in yet? Have they turned me in yet? What's it going to be like? And folks, we look at that as, yes, someday that might happen, someday uh, far away. Hey, folks, that's happened all around the world. And, and if you've studied history at all, it does not take long for a nation to flip, even one as strong as America. How strong is your faith? Now, people will say things like this. Well, I think uh, if it came down to it, I think I would die for my faith. I think I would die for the Lord. Which brings to the next question. You may be willing to die for him, but are you willing to now live for him? That's the next question. The only reason these, mar these disciples, these apostles, were able to be martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ, I even think about Peter. They were going to crucify Peter, and, and history tells us that he uh, felt unworthy to, be to die in the same manner of Jesus, so he requested he be crucified upside down. It's not enough to just say, all right, if you guys are going to kill me, you know, to go to that with peace, but, but to have a request, if you're going to kill me, can you do it this way? And with boldness, they love not their lives even unto death. You know, I find it very interesting. The first Christian martyr in the Bible, a man named Stephen. He was there as the rocks were coming, and, and he prays a prayer, a very Christ-like prayer. Lay not this charge to their account. And he looks up to heaven, and, and, and he, he recounts how he saw the clouds open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, we know from the book of Hebrews and other places, what posture is Jesus in right now? He's seated at the right hand of God. Who he ever lived to make intercession for us, and, and uh, that's, that's him. But, but here, he sees him standing. He fast forward to the book of Revelation, and it talks about these martyrs that come in who, who love not life, even unto death. They lay down their life, and Jesus, what does he do? He stands. He gives great honor for those who lay down their lives for the one who laid down his life for them. And I just think to myself, uh, uh, are we willing to compromise? Are we willing to, to play the game? Or if it comes down to it, are we going to boldly stand? See, when it starts costing you something, that's when, that's when things start changing. You know, I hear some of these stories are martyrs, and though I would not wish that upon anybody, there's a part of me that's a little bit jealous of their faith. These are some strong Christians who are willing to stand. Our legal missionary, uh, Dr. David Gibbs, he told a story when he was overseas, I think I shared this with you, that uh, he was in a very poor place. I don't even remember what, what, what country he was in, but they, uh, they'd been shut down by the government a few times, and, and they'd asked them to teach the Sunday school class, and they said, if they come, we do, you know, just do whatever they say, and we'll, it'll be fine. And, and uh, some ladies that were there, they walked several miles to come to service, and, and, uh, and all they had was really the clothes they had on their back. And, and uh, they came to him, and they said, it must be hard for you Christians in America. And he said, what do you mean? And they said, well, we have to pray for everything that we have. We have to pray for everything. 
And he said, after he's done talking to her, he said, lady, you're making me feel about this big right now. I thank God for America, and I thank God for the great blessings we have. But I'm afraid it makes for great weakness if we're not careful. I was having a discussion with my children the other day, actually yesterday. My wife and I, and we were, we were saying how... Uh, one of them had brought up, uh, they said, you know, I think I should, uh, I should fast from uh, media for a while. I should take a little break from screens. And, and we just kind of got talking about how it's good sometimes to uh, intentionally um, restrict yourself from things. Not because they're bad, but because it's good to learn to just kind of say no to things. And what came to my mind was in uh, Philippians 4 where Paul says, I'm instructed both to be abased and to abound. Both. In fact, we all know uh, uh, Philippians 4, uh, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. The context of that is almost never preached. And the context is being poor and being rich, being abased and abounding. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. And I thought, you know, in America, very few of us have known, like truly on a real level, what it is to be abased. I had a friend of mine who uh, was looking at that verse and he had that same thought. I've never been abased. I've never gone without. So he fasted for 40 days just to simply intentionally go without. And I thought, wow, that's a, that's a commitment to follow that instruction to both be abased and to abound. I'm just saying we need to be so careful, believers, that we are ready, that the discomfort does not turn us from Christ, to run to Christ when things don't quite go our way as they might not, even on a grand scale, in a, <laughs> to a city near you. We all right this morning? Well, we have a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for our time together. And we love you, Lord. I pray, Father, that in the hour and the time, whatever level of persecution that you